Good morning. My name is Bill Safestrom, and this morning our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark. So please follow along in your Bibles or on the screens. I'll be reading Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13 from the American, New American Standard Bible. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Again, happy Valentine's Day. My name's Julie Steele, and I am one of the pastors here at Evergreen. Um, and I, I'm the one who's kicking off our new sermon, sermon series in Mark, as you can see, the empathy and efficacy of the miracles of Jesus. Now, we're starting the sermon series today, but the miracle part we won't get into until the next uh, few weeks because we're going to be laying the groundwork today for the book of Mark. This title slide that we see, uh, we see here suggests that Mark's gospel, <clears throat> that the miracles that Jesus performed were for the purpose of teaching the people about God's gracious intervention in the world by doing these miracles, and then also would give us a glimpse of the actual character of Jesus. Now, before we get into our scripture today, into the book of Mark, because it's Valentine's Day, we have to do something a little different. And so I'm going to ask you, how many of you have heard of the five love languages? A lot of you have. There's a great book called The Five Love Languages that Gary Chapman wrote. And uh, so I decided this last week, I've, I've seen this before, but I thought, I'm just going to take that little online test and see where I fall in these uh, love languages. So we have, make sure everything's good, there we go, um, the different love languages, we have words of affirmation, gift giving, uh, acts of service, 
uh, personal or uh, physical touch, and then uh, quality time. So that's what these symbols stand for. And this is a really cool thing because you can just go online. It takes a few minutes. You, you get into this, and you can take the test, and it says you either click for yourself or for your child. So you can try to get an idea of what your um, children's love language is also, which is kind of cool. So thinking about these five things, Barry, thinking about these five things, we all have, we all want some of them, but there are some for us that are stronger than others. So I took the test, and uh, last on the list for me was receiving gifts. Now, I love to receive gifts, but the most, the best gifts are real jewelry. So it's not that I don't like that, it just landed at the bottom of the pile. Okay, the next one were words of affirmation. I like words of affirmation, I mean, but it just, it's not the one thing that speaks love to me. And then we've got physical touch. Well, we all like physical touch. We need hugs, we need that intimacy. Um, but that came out in the middle here. And so the next two you see were neck and neck. Acts of service, and then, of course, quality time. So I thought I would read to you quality time. This is what the test results were. In the vernacular of quality time, nothing says I love you like full, undivided attention. Being there for this type of person is critical, but really being there with the TV off, fork and knife down, and all chores on standby makes your significant other feel truly special and loved. And then acts of service. Can vacuuming the floors really be an expression of love? Absolutely. Anything you do to ease the burden of responsibilities weighing on the acts of service person will speak volumes. The words he or she most want to hear is, let me do that for you. Laziness, broken commitments, and making more work for them tells the speakers of this language their feelings don't matter. Finding ways to serve speaks volumes for these recipients. So those are my top two. I don't know if you would have guessed that or not, but my husband has the wonderful challenge of giving me his full, undivided attention while at the same time vacuuming and doing acts of service. So you need to pray for this man. That is a tough one. I agree. So I think you should look into it for yourself. It's kind of a fun test to take. All right, now we're going to move into the book of Mark. And I really think that the book of Mark, his love language would have been acts of service because his gospel is the shortest and it's the most action-packed of all four accounts. It's also known as the Gospel of Miracles because, being the shortest of the four, Mark spends most of his time detailing the miracles of Jesus. And it's also believed to be the first gospel written of the four. Now, some background on Mark. He was not one of Jesus' disciples, and he's also referred to as John Mark in the book of Acts and some New Testament letters, John being the Jewish name and Mark being the Latin his mother had a house in Jerusalem where Jesus' followers met in the days of the early church. Now, there's a strong early tradition that John Mark wrote his gospel in Rome and recorded Jesus' story as he heard it directly from the apostle Peter. Here's a quote from a commentator I came across. 
Historically, Mark is seen as one of the Apostle Peter's disciples. Likewise, the evidence in the narrative, for example, indicates that Peter was a significant source for most of the material, and most theologians accept Mark as Peter's gospel. Also, the seeming indication that the temple is still standing marks it as an early gospel. Now, Mark's audience would have been primarily non-Jews because he gives many explanations in his gospel of Jewish customs. Mark shows us Jesus in action, convincing us by the things that he did that his claim to be the Son of God was true. For Mark, actions seem to speak louder than words. Now, in typical Mark fashion here, I am not going to go into nearly as much detail in these verses as I could. You see, Mark just gives us the facts and moves on to the next thing. And I can't help but wondering if those other three gospel writers read Mark's gospel and thought, oh my gosh, he left out so many things. We have got to write more. And they got to it. Well, the theme that kept coming to me as I was reading these first 13 verses was preparation. I don't know if that was just the Lord speaking to me about my preparation, but it feels like that's the theme running through here in the verses that Bill read for us. So preparation is the key. That's kind of the theme of our talk today. Let's look at some famous quotes about preparation. Failure to prepare is preparing to fail. Before anything else, preparation is the key to success. Hardships, I really like this one, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. You say that five times really fast? And then, of course, the separation is in the preparation. Couldn't forget that one. Well, today we're going to look first at how John prepared the way for Jesus. And by the way, I know we have some kids in here. If you all would draw me a picture of every picture, slide that you see that has people in it and bring it to me, you will get a special prize. So you can pay attention to that. Okay, so John prepares the way for Jesus. Is anybody hearing that buzzing noise? Yes. And I think, Ron, can you check on that for me? Thanks. All right, so John's going to prepare the way for Jesus here. And first, just to clarify, that John was not a Baptist. He was a baptizer. He was not the John who wrote the Gospel of John, of which John, that, uh, the Gospel writer, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. John was Jesus' cousin, and he was son of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And we read that as part of the Christmas story. Now, this guy was a real character. He clearly had a very solid self-image. He knew who he was and who he was not. He was not the Messiah, but he was a forerunner. We see that in verse 7 here. That makes it clear. Now, in verse 6, we also see that John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. 
Hmm. Any wonder this guy wasn't married? I once dated a guy who I found out later ate deer meat, and that was the end of him. Little too out there for me, so I would not have hit it off with John. John would have been the perfect candidate for the show Survivor. Now, through God's direction, John the Baptist challenged the people to prepare for the coming of the Messiah by turning away from their sin, because he keeps using that word repent, which means to turn away, and be baptized as a symbol of that repentance. Although he held no power or influence in the Jewish political system, he did deliver his message with a force of authority. People could not resist the overpowering truth of his words as they flocked by the hundreds to come hear him and then be baptized. And even though all of these people came to John, he had lots of attention in these crowds, he never lost sight of his mission to point people to Christ, not himself. Haven't you ever heard a message just kind of made you uncomfortable, but you knew it was true. It just kind of inside, you're, you're squirming a little bit. Yeah, I have. Well, the people who heard John may not have liked what they heard, but they heard truth in it, and truth drew them to him. He was saying, you guys need to change and not just feel sorry for what you're doing, but actually repent and turn the other direction. Because that's what repent means. It doesn't mean to just stop where you are in what you're doing. It actually means to turn around and go a different way. It's not a feeling, it's an action. So are you preparing others to see Jesus as John did? Do you behave in a way that would accurately reflect the real Jesus? In other words, would your neighbor or your coworker or other family members want to know more about Jesus because of you? Quoting Isaiah here, are you making a straight path for the Lord? Or are you setting up an obstacle course for people to encounter Jesus? I've been thinking a lot about what Pastor Peter brought up a few weeks ago regarding that label evangelicals. And I, too, avoid telling people what I do for fear that I'm going to get included into that stereotype label that, unfortunately, that has come to mean. I'm in a book club that I joined about 10 years ago, up where I live, and it's not that I have a ton of time to read books, but I really wanted to get in with a group of women who weren't church people, who weren't even necessarily Christians, and just kind of get out there in the real world, as they say. Well, the first few years, I worked very hard at holding back on letting people know what I did and that I was a Christian. And I wasn't doing that because I was ashamed. I was doing that because I wanted them to listen to me and want to talk to me and hear my thoughts without that filter being there. And so after a few years, I did spill the beans, and the reaction was, oh, wow, oh, that, that's really cool. And now, 
when we're talking about a book or some kind of controversial topic, instead of me forcing what I believe, the ladies usually look at me and say, Julie, what do you think? I want to hear what you have to say about this. And so I really feel like that label of evangelical, I don't have to have with them. And I think that's important because, you see, I wanted them to move towards me, not away from me. Well, John had a powerful message, but you see, if he was only interested in condemning people and making sure they all knew he was the one who was right, his, his message would have no power or authority, and people would be moving away from him. Are you intentional about pointing others to Christ? That's a hard one. John was clear that he was not the Christ. He was not the good news. Now, I'm going to confess to you, I have a sin of pride. I would really like for everybody to think, I can do it all. I can make you better. I'm the one that has the answers. But you know, God gave me a verse many years ago that continually comes to my mind. It's in John 14. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I am reminded of that over and over again. You see, if I can do anything good, it's only because of Christ and his power and strength that he uses in my weakness. You know, we have a real problem in the Christian community with putting more faith in a pastor or a leader than Jesus. Look at all the churches that have been destroyed by a leader who wanted the attention on themselves instead of Jesus, and maybe not even consciously. They have the sin of pride. And you know, we're at fault too, because we allow ourselves to follow a person more than Jesus. But John was a strong example of making sure that he was making a way for Jesus and not presenting himself as the way. Now, we know that John fulfilled his calling perfectly because of the words that Jesus himself said of John later on. He said, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's quite a compliment. So John prepared the way for Jesus, and now baptism is going to be preparing Jesus for the temptation that he will face after his baptism. Again, these three verses here are uh, uh, just a snippet of what is found in Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, so I encourage you to read the account of Jesus' baptism in the other gospels too. So why did Jesus, why did he need to be baptized? We saw in verse 4 that John was preaching a baptism of repentance from sins, right? Jesus was sinless. He took our sin on on the cross, but he did not sin. 2 Corinthians says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus, who knew no sin, took on our sin so that we, who are not righteous, could take on his righteousness. Well, one of the reasons why Jesus was baptized is that he wanted to identify with humanity. He began to show us the way of rebuilding our broken relationship with God because of our sin. Now, as Jesus went into the water, as we see in baptism, which symbolizes the washing away of sin, he identified himself with humanity and the sins that he would take upon himself about three years later. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Something else very significant happened at Jesus' baptism. The manifestation of the Trinity was there. The Spirit came down from heaven in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father spoke, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. See, this would confirm to John and everyone else standing around, this was the Messiah, and his public ministry was going to begin. In the Old Testament, God had chosen when he would choose a king, a priest, or a prophet, he would have them anointed to mark that they were chosen by him and they were ready for their public ministry. It was God's endorsement. So this display of the Spirit and the voice of the Father would make it clear Jesus was the Messiah because there were going to be a lot of skeptics out there. I also look at Jesus' own words in Matthew about why he needed to be baptized. And he says, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill the righteousness. I like it in the New Living Translation. But Jesus said, and he's saying this to John the Baptist, It should be done, for we must do all that God requires. So I'm hearing some obedience in there, an obedience to an act that might not make sense otherwise. John's baptizing Jesus was a critical part of God's plan for Jesus as he was now going to begin this ministry. So how does this relate to us today? What can we take for ourselves from this? Well, first of all, we too must carry out that all that God requires of us so that we're prepared for whatever's going to come next. For Jesus, it was the sacrament of baptism that he obeyed and uh, carried out, which we're all commanded to do by Jesus if we are followers of his. But you see, baptism is a one-time sacrament, and regularly practicing spiritual disciplines would also prepare us for what God has in store for us and be part of our prepare, preparation process. How many of you have, no, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have given up something for Lent? Just think about it in your mind. So I know many of you did. Lent started last Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, and it runs until Easter. Well, listen to what Dallas Willard writes about spiritual disciplines. The disciplines of abstinence which be like giving something up for Lent, must be counterbalanced and supplemented by disciplines of engagement or activity. 
It's choosing to participate in activities that nurture our souls and strengthen us for the race ahead. So some spiritual disciplines would be studying the Bible, spending time in Scripture, worship, praising God, prayer, talking to, and more importantly, listening to God, fellowship with mutual caring and ministry in the body of Christ, confession, regularly confessing your sins to the Lord and other trusted individuals. And last, submission, humbling yourself before God and others while seeking accountability in relationships. These are all spiritual disciplines that we all should be engaging in for our spiritual preparation. Now, I can tell you from my own experience that when I let a few days go by without my focused time with the Lord, things don't go well for me. I can be caught off guard by life's circumstances, and I am not prepared for the challenges that we all can face. I have this really great devotional. There's many out there. This one's called 1,000 Gifts Devotional. Ann Voskamp wrote it, and I know that there's the 1,000 Gifts book, which is wonderful, but this is this really neat devotional that I came across. And so... A few weeks ago, I was kind of feeling sorry for myself, and I was thinking, why, God, are you not answering my prayers, but it seems like you're answering everybody else's? What is going on here? And I really started to kind of spiral down emotionally and go into kind of a dark place. And then, as God does, he reminded me that, hey, Julie, when was the last time you spent some time with me? When was the last time you picked up your Bible and read my word? So I did it. I picked up my devotional, and here is the scripture for that particular day. Hmm. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. Wow. I started crying because I knew God was speaking directly to me and it cut me to the heart. You see, if I had been continuing with my daily time with the Lord, it would have allowed God to prepare me more and I would have been able to not go to that spiral place because I would have been believing him, staying close to him, and I would have had hope. I could have been further in my learning process, as Paul talks about in these verses, of knowing how to live in my own circumstance. I missed out. So what are you intentionally participating in that will spiritually prepare you for a temptation or a challenge in your life? Do you need to set more time aside for prayer or just being silent and hearing from God? Maybe your worship of God is lacking and you are not praising him for the things that he's doing in your life. 
If you are not diligent in preparation for what each day can bring, and we all know we have those times, your ability to see God in that circumstance or in that temptation will be severely disabled. Jesus was able to withstand temptation he would face next because he had prepared and done all that the Father had required of him. Because he obeyed the Father, he was recognized publicly as the Messiah and affirmed in his identity. And now it's time for the testing. You see, after this amazing spiritual experience of being baptized and having the Holy Spirit come upon him, Jesus shifts from an amazing spiritual high to a very dark spiritual crisis. Have you ever had that happen? You have this mountaintop experience. You go to a conference or you go to a retreat or you go on a mission trip and you come back just so full and so on fire for the Lord and you come home and there's some crisis waiting for you there or it's just your ordinary life that feels so mundane after all of that and it really brings you down. Well, Temptation prepares Jesus now for ministry. And Mark gives us very few details here again. He just gives us the facts. Remember that TV show Dragnet, Just the Facts, ma'am? Yes. So he just gives us the facts. Verse 12 says, Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And Matthew says in his gospel, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, a very specific purpose. Now, we know from Matthew and Luke that Jesus was tempted in three different ways. And again, I'm not going to go into those details. Please go and read those accounts to get filled in here. But the one detail that Mark gives us that no other gospel gives us is that Jesus was with the wild beasts. I missed that. I had not seen that before. So here's what one commentator wrote about Mark. Mark gathers up the whole temptation into one sentence, and the message would seem to imply that the three temptations recorded in Matthew and Luke were not the only trials through which our Lord passed during those 40 days although they were no doubt the most prominent and most powerful assaults on Jesus. And he was with the wild beasts. This shows the extreme solitude of the place. It shows also the innocence of our Lord that there in that wild and desolate district, amongst lions and wolves and leopards and serpents, he neither feared them nor was injured by them. He dwelt amongst them as Adam lived with them in the state of his innocence in paradise. These wild beasts recognized and revered their creator and their Lord. Isn't that cool? I'd never thought about that. Well, the specific temptations that Jesus faced were his final test to examine his intent to use his power to do God's work, God's way, 
all through his ministry. He now has the power to feed the hungry, heal the sick, raise the dead, and many other things. So how's he going to use it to satisfy his own needs as Satan was continually tempting him when he was in a very vulnerable state? Would he use it to test God out? Would he use it to command a following? Well, when it comes to it, will he use his power to save himself or, trusting in God, continue on the path to the cross to save others? Well, we know he passed the test. You see, God tests for success, not failure. When we have tests and challenges in our life, God isn't saying, oh, boy, you're going to really miss the mark on this one. I'm going to say I told you so. He wants us to succeed, and Jesus succeeded. He said uh, when he used, he used Scripture with uh, Satan, he came back at him with Scripture all three times. And this is a reminder that temptation itself, Jesus was tempted, is not sin. It is not a sin to be tempted because Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. We don't have to take that next step. Knowing God's word can help us say no to temptation because it grounds us, it orients us into what is true. So what temptation might you be dealing with right now? And are you allowing it to strengthen you or break you? Maybe you're tempted to believe that, you know, your sin just isn't that big of a deal. It's not really hurting anybody else. Maybe you're tempted to believe that whatever you are facing, it's too much. You can't handle it. God's giving you way too much. One of my favorite quotes is, the real miracle is living through what I thought would kill me. And sometimes we wish it would. Maybe you're tempted to believe the lie that you are alone in your circumstances. Now we see that after Jesus was done with the temptation, angels were right there ministering to him. I guarantee you that whatever you're going through now will be used as part of your preparation for something else later. Now, many of you know that I am preparing for something really exciting in a few months. I am preparing to be a grandma. And these three little girls here, my grandnieces, have prepared me to be a grandma. Got Holland and Ellie and Hannah there eating the big ice cream sundae, which I wish I were there with them. And it has been a delight to do sleepovers and play with them and just kind of get into that grandma mode. And so now I am totally ready to be a grandma to my new little granddaughter. So I asked Ellie, who's the one in the middle, and she's quite precocious. I said, Ellie, can you help me with how, how I should be a good grandma? What are some things I need to do? So she got out the list of paper at our house because she loves to make lists and she even wrote list at the bottom so I knew it was a list. And here is what Ellie wrote down for me so that I could be a good grandma. Be kind, 
read a book, feed them, take a picture, take a nap, take a picnic, and tuck them in. So I am totally ready for all this now, right? I've got it down. Well, what changes do you need to make so that you're prepared for others to see Jesus? Maybe you need to change an attitude. You know, I have seen more grumpy, rude Christians in a grocery line or at a restaurant or anybody waiting on somebody, and it's embarrassing, guys. We need to step it up. We should not be hindering people from seeing Jesus. And is there a spiritual practice that needs more time and effort on your part so that you're prepared? Do you need to spend more time praying, reading the Bible, meeting with other Christians? I don't know. That's up to you and God. But I would definitely examine that today. And how do you handle temptations and trials? Do you see them as God's preparation for you? Or do you try to run from them? As I look back on my life, I can see how God has used all my circumstances the good, the bad, and the ugly, to prepare me for what was coming next. I couldn't see it at the time, but I can see it in hindsight. So I would ask you to submit to the preparation process now so that you are ready and you do not miss out on what the Lord has planned for you and your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the preparation that was made way for Jesus. We thank you for the example of that for ourselves. But we also thank you, God, that you are preparing each of us for ministry to be used by you. And so I ask that we would enter that process joyfully and willingly, examining what you are calling us to do to be more prepared to carry out what you have called each of us to do. And thank you, Jesus, that it is in the power of the Holy Spirit that we do anything good. In your name we pray, amen.